Oh, shit. It's the coin toss. One surprise topic off the rip. Two sides of a coin. Sometimes it's a pretty strange coin. Surprise topic this week. It's Trey, and it's not Mitch. Derek, <laughs> you ready for this? I am. Yeah, let's do it. All right. It's actually just the two of us this week, so uh, we're just not going to do a coin toss at all. I'm just going to go straight to this player prop here. So uh, Thursday night game this week, we got Pittsburgh at Minnesota. Kirk Cousins versus Ben Roethlisberger that have nearly an identical uh, passing yard prop for this game, uh, 252 yards passing. Tarek, who you got, Big Ben or Kirk Cousins? Yeah, so not even nearly identical, exactly identical. The exactly prop is identical. 200, 252 and a half yards passing. Uh, so if I'm choosing between the two, I think like at first blush, I wanted to say Kirk Cousins just because I think like he's not the one with the dead arm at this point. But I think I'm going to go with Ben Roethlisberger um, because for one, you know, Big Ben has shown a little bit more with his arm recently than maybe we've been giving him credit for like obviously you know it it looks like big ben's in the last year of his career we've seen that leaking out that he essentially doesn't expect to be back with the steelers um but you know i think he's been able to get some throws downfield to chase claypool he's obviously peppering the living shit out of deontay johnson and it comes down to like the Minnesota Vikings defense is not great. It's not good. And the Steelers defense is pretty good. Uh, and, you know, uh, we're in Minnesota here. So maybe like the Vikings get it going on the ground and Big Ben kind of has to catch up. So I'm going to go with Big Ben here. Yeah, maybe. Interesting. Uh, so I'll take Kirk Cousins because that's the nature of this uh, this exercise here. But uh I do think it's going to be close uh, for all the reasons you said. I do like Kirk Cousins better as a passer, definitely in the year 2021. Uh, Big Ben has looked toast, like you said, at times. Uh, that said, the Pittsburgh defense is pretty good, but I don't think they're unbeatable. I could see Pittsburgh playing with a lead in this game, too. They've got a pretty good running game, and Minnesota's defense isn't much to um, write home about, so I could see Cousins having to play a little bit of catch-up from behind, but... uh yeah, this one's really close for me. Yeah, uh, Vegas thinks it's close too. I mean, Vegas is usually right. Look, hey, I, I think uh, you know we're going to talk about this on Mitch's behalf a little bit later. But uh, Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings really put up a stinker uh, against Detroit last weekend, and you know Big Ben and the Steelers kind of surprisingly beat uh, the Ravens. So. For sure. You know, maybe maybe with the momentum there, uh, I can feel a little bit better about my pick here. But what the fuck's going on with Minnesota? They are they are such a confusing team. It's like, yeah, it seems like they can beat any team in the NFL and then literally lose to the Detroit football Lions. And well, they they definitely burned me a couple weeks ago when I, I picked them against San Francisco. So definitely not going back to the Vikings well anytime soon for our uh, parlay. But uh yeah, I'm just I'm just happy that Detroit finally got one, man. You and me have been yeah. kind of pulling for them on the sideline here for a while. So, uh, uh, yeah, Minnesota so up and down this year. Not too surprising. They're the ones who uh, dropped the ball against the uh, division rival there. Me and you have been, uh, you know, not so closeted Dan Campbell fans kind of since the beginning <laughs> of the year. So which is which is surprising given, you know, all his antics in the preseason. But. For sure. For sure. All right, man. So you got a. Uh, Big Ben feels bad. 
placing my bets on Big Ben Roethlisberger. So, you know, that that feels bad. Yes, as you said. Feels bad, Ben. What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about Dynasty fantasy football. I'm your host, Tarek Angry T. Benchwia, and with me, as Trey told you in the open, the first ever two-man long game pod, Trey Crying. What's going on, man? What the fuck is going on indeed? It's just me and you, man. Feels uh, It feels empty in here. Yeah, if it feels empty to me, but also my heart is full because this is like the first time in three or four weeks that we've had Mr. Trey crying uh, on a long game podcast. It's good to be back. So it's really good to have you back, Trey. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Yeah, I mean, uh, you and John and Mitch wouldn't really care about what's new in the Notre Dame universe, but there was a pretty big bombshell that dropped since the last time I was on the pod with you guys and uh, Brian Kelly picked up and left South Bend in the middle of the night for LSU. And uh, now we got a new coach and uh, his name is Marcus Freeman. He, we promoted him from the defensive coordinator job to head coach. And uh, I'm, I'm really stoked about the, uh, the new coach, man. I, I think coach Freeman is just a breath of fresh air for this organization. And uh, as a Notre Dame fan, I'm pretty excited about it. I've, I've always kind of been a BK hater and, you know, I've certainly liked the wins over the years, but I think, uh, I think Coach Freeman could be could be the guy to take us to the promised land. So I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Hey, happy for you, man. I, yeah, like I don't really follow Notre Dame news closely. I do consider myself, you know, on because of my friendship with you, uh, somewhat of a fair weather Notre Dame fan. So yeah, I guess I'm excited too. You know, I was actually today years old when I learned that Brian Kelly and Chip Kelly are not in fact related. No, no, common misconception. And uh, <laughs> we've had to correct John on that before, which, uh, you know, that guy should know better of all people with all the college football he watches. But uh, yeah. no, they're, they're not the same person. They're not they're not brothers, uh, not even cousins, uh, completely different people entirely. Not not even by marriage. Yeah, uh, like, yeah, yeah. So and and the thing is is Brian Kelly is actually from Boston. Okay. But you wouldn't know it listening to that introduction speech that he gave at that LSU uh basketball halftime. Did you see this? No, I did he's not. Talking about his family and his, you know, fake Cajun accent is oh ridiculous. My god. Ridiculous. Oh my god. That's extremely embarrassing. Bye, man. dude. So. Later, man. <laughs> see ya. Bye, Felicia. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and kick off this show. So just as a reminder to our audience, what we've been doing over the course of the regular season is reacting to the previous week in terms of the, you know, the slate of football as it relates to dynasty fantasy football and gaining an edge on your league mates. And, you know, kind of what it's naturally evolved to is not necessarily us diving into the games or whatever, but just something that kind of came up for us while thinking about the previous week or and and maybe even the previous two or three weeks. And these insights, again, we want to help you win your dynasty league, both now, but also in the long term, you know, building a dynasty as the pl- uh, the format is called. So we're each going to give two insights. And uh, because it's just two of us, we're also going to do a little overtime segment at the end. But let's not get ahead of ourselves and kick off this 
first half. And Trey, I'm going to go to you. What's your first insight for Dynasty? All right. Well, I actually came up with this one because I was uh, scrolling Twitter and I saw your post about uh, Debo Samuel. And uh, you'd mentioned how you were having a hard time ranking him because he's been, you know, such an absolute beast this year. And it, it got me thinking about, you know, my own ranking on Debo. So I definitely moved him up a few spots. But then I saw where he was at on keep trade cut. And he's currently wide receiver 10, or at least he was yesterday when I was checking. And to me, Debo Samuel is a guy that I would go and try to trade away if I had him on my squad, if I could get wide receiver 10 overall value for him. Because I just don't see his value going up from there. You know, like this feels like his ceiling to me, especially now that we're at the point in the season where Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle are back looking like the dudes we thought they were going to be. And Debo Samuel is now dealing with this groin injury. So like, who knows how long, you know, that's going to be with him the rest of the season, if that's going to affect his play at all. So don't get me wrong. All right. He's been absolutely amazing this year. Uh, I think, I mean, it's, his numbers are uh, incredible. Like right now he's number two in points per game. He's number two in yards per route run. He's number two in yards after the catch. Like it just goes on and on and on. Um, but if you think about what's going to happen this off season, like, are we really going to come into like redraft season next year and pick up Debo Samuel in the first or second round? Like, I just don't see people picking him as or valuing him as a top 10 wide receiver going into next year, especially, you know, with the way like he's kind of set to tail off of their, uh, this last stretch of the season here. So I think if you can get wide receiver 10 value and get into guys who are going to be, you know, ascending assets, if you're a rebuilder or if you're a contender, you know, guys are going to really give you what you need for that playoff push. I would do it for rebuilders. I'd go after, you know, rookies like Devonte Smith or Elijah Moore and try to get a little bit extra with them. Or if I'm a contender, then I'd be targeting guys like Keenan Allen, Deontay Johnson, who are just PPR machines who are going to be really valuable pieces for your playoff run. Yeah, you mentioned that I did a Twitter thread or, you know, it was just a couple of tweets on Debo Samuel and it was essentially me agreeing with you here that like I I really struggle ranking him as a wide receiver one, even though like clearly because of his production, you could say that he deserves it. Um, that being said, I kind of want to push back a little bit um, in insofar as you said, I don't you don't necessarily see his value going up from here. I mean, obviously, it's it's going to be hard for anybody to kind of put him above AJ Brown, who's obviously had a a, a difficult season DK as well Metcalf, as DK Metcalf. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think he's going to get past that point. So I see what you're saying, but at the same time, like going into next year to answer your question, I could 100% see people drafting him in startups and especially in redraft leagues, you know, among the top eight wide receivers, uh, just because of, you know, what, what he put on the board and, you know, recency bias is strong, you know, all, all that yeah. being said, like, I agree with you. Like my issue is that I was kind of about to move Debo Samuel up into that range. Like I was a little slow to the trigger, but I was like getting there. And then a couple weeks ago before he got hurt, something weird happened and he just stopped getting targets, but his numbers were still amazing because he was like getting, you know, 80 to 100 yards rushing on literally like six rushes. On like six attempts, yeah. But but the thing is, is I think that that kind of lined up nicely with Kittle and Ayuk, you know, right. factoring back into this offense. 
Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if if his role is kind of situating in that Cordero Patterson, you know, type of situation, I I just I worry that, you know, he's not going to continue to be able <laughs> to average, you know, right. 12 yards, you know, a carry as as a runner, right? So, I think like if we're we consider him a Cordero Patterson, but you know, he's 25 instead of 30, we think he's always going to get those touches manufactured. He's probably going to get paid and he's probably going to ball out on those touches. But I think we can't expect his efficiency to be as, you know, absurd as it is, despite the fact that let, you know, let's concede that Debo Samuel is an amazing player, amazing player for sure, for sure. And I don't looking at what Cordero Patterson is doing this year and what Debo Samuel has done through the first half of the season. And then you've got other, you know, quote unquote gadget guys out in the league, guys like, you know, Rondale Moore, LaVisca Chenault, who's being misused in Jacksonville. Uh, I mean, there's been all this talk about the the positionless offensive player going forward, right? Like the combo running back receiver hybrid of the future. Right. And, and maybe that's the case. Maybe it's not. But I, I don't think we should necessarily be valuing him as a player that we've never seen before uh-huh. just based off of this sample size alone, you know? So I am definitely leaning more towards, you know, put aside where redrafters rank him going into the season. Let's just talk about actual value here. Like, do you actually think number two overall production is sustainable going into 2022? Because I don't I don't really see it, especially with a healthy Kittle, especially with an Ayuk who is a centerpiece of that offense, especially with potentially Trey Lance getting his first starts in the league finally, yeah, you know, like I, I, there's a much other, you know, like, like other guys out there that I would, you know, bet on to be the number two receiver than Debo Samuel, who has been amazing this year. I kind of want to talk a little bit about where we have him ranked, right. Uh, And what are the players around him? Because that's where the struggle comes. Like it's, it's really difficult. It's not difficult for me to move players up. What becomes difficult is, is moving players down, right? So like I have Debo Samuel right behind T Higgins. So he's Debo is my wide receiver 16 and T Higgins is my wide receiver 15. And I think a lot of people out there would, would call me crazy for having T Higgins, you know, preferring T Higgins over Debo Samuel. And honestly, like they're in the same tier, but if you know, it, you put a gun to my head, I'm, I'm choosing T Higgins over Debo Samuel, just because I think, he he profiles as the kind of person who's going to have consistent uh, high level production at the wide receiver position, right? So yeah. there's T Higgins. Well, I would definitely agree with you. I would I would definitely have T Higg over over Debo at this point too, <laughs> which I did well before the start of the season too. Yeah, right. He, well, here's an interesting you know difference between us, uh, and it, you know they're they're all in the same tier, I'm sure. But I have Chris Godwin a couple spots ahead of Debo Samuel. And you actually have Debo Samuel ranked one spot ahead of Chris Godwin. So when you were, you know, adjusting your ranks, what made you think, oh, I could I could prefer Debo over over Godwin? Yeah. So for me, they're they're actually they're right there. And I was going back and forth about who was going to be 14 or 15. Uh, so they're they're right there for me. The thing with Chris Godwin that's interesting is, you know, go back in time two years, he was the wide receiver too on the season, you know. Right. And now he's kind of fallen into this mid-level wide receiver two range where he's kind of been stuck uh, since they've you know moved more to a three receiver offense down there so i 
could see that happening to Debo Samuel when they've got a healthy Kittle and that a healthy Ayuk. You know, he could be kind of falling into that same similar position as Godwin. And then we just got to yeah. factor in, okay, Godwin's what doesn't have the rushing upside that Samuel does, you know? Right. I think Godwin's a, maybe a year, maybe older. a year older. Right. And then potentially looking at free agency, right? So we don't know the long-term situation either, which, you know, good or bad. But the, the other thing that's interesting there is I was, I was also kind of thinking like, who is the next Cooper cup, you know, going into next year. Right. And Godwin was one of those guys that kind of made me think like, why couldn't he be the next Cooper cup? You know, like, yeah, you know, the guy who's like presumably the one a in that offense to with a one B like Mike Evans next to him, they're going to be scoring a lot of touchdowns. Like why couldn't he do it again one day? Um, so, you know, I see a little bit more consistent receiver upside with Godwin than I do with Debo Samuel, but you can't ignore that Samuel Samuel is a year younger and he's going to get those points on the ground too. Right. Right. Yeah. I can respect that. I mean, like you said, they're kind of all clustered together. Super right tight now. for sure. Yeah. If I, if, you know, if I were more of a betting man uh, and there was a way to bet on this right now, I would, I would bet that Chris Godwin remains uh, a Buccaneer. I think they're going to pay him. I think they're just going to like keep that together as long as Tom Brady wants uh, they're going to figure it out. And I think Tom Brady's coming back next year again, too. So, yeah, yeah, um, I'm I'm looking forward to Chris Godwin remaining a Buccaneer. Though. I like it. I like it. OK. All right. Uh, good Debo Samuel talk there. Uh, t- too bad John's not here to uh, to to <laughs> to give uh, give some more, uh, you know, weight behind his guy there. He's always been the Debo Samuel guy on this pod. He has. He He loved Debo way before it was cool. Okay, uh, let's pivot to my insight, and I'm going to pivot from wide receiver to the running back position. And I am really starting to like Josh Jacobs as a buy in all situations, right? Contender or rebuild. And it's not even like you need to go buy him right now. I think this is something that I'm going to take into the offseason. I'm really going to like Josh Jacobs as a buy for whatever kind of team you have. Since John Gruden got fired ahead of week six, Josh Jacobs is the RB7 in PPR, and since their week eight bye, he's averaging almost six targets per game. Nice. So this is a a third-year player. He's 23 right now. He turns 24 in February. I think he's proven himself a good enough running back to have his fifth-year option picked up. And remember, he was picked in the late first, so his fifth-year option isn't going to be that expensive. So we've got two more years of his rookie deal left. And he's really good. Like, he's really good at football. So my favorite film guru, Chris Harris, uh, who I trust with talent evaluation, Josh Jacobs is his guy. So, you know, I I kind of outsource my film evaluations to Chris Harris. So I think Josh Jacobs is good, too. What, what was the nickname for Josh Jacobs? It, it, muscle the Hamster. Jacked Gerbil. The Jack Gerbil. Yeah, because Muscle Hamster was Doug Martin. And so he's, exactly. the, he's the Jack Gerbil. That's right. Right, right. So shout out Chris Harris there uh, and the whole, you know, uh, all the possums and tapeworms. Uh, so yeah, club. Jacob seems to be constantly nicked up. And I think his workload has been managed throughout his career as a result of that. But remember, we've talked about this a couple of times. The workhorse running back is a rare commodity. And it's something that's fading and that I'm kind of hoping is fading into the past just so we can keep these guys healthy. So Josh Jacobs. His bump in targets, I talked about it earlier, week eight, uh, since then, he's had almost six targets per game. That bump started well before Kenyon Drake broke his ankle, and we know from college that Josh Jacobs is a good pass catcher. Remember, he was there with Najee Harris 
and Damian Harrison. He was the pass catching guy. So we'd just been frustrated for two and a half years that John Gruden refused to use him in that role. So frustrating. Uh, thankfully, John Gruden is gone. So, you know, I wanted to reflect a little bit because I love how in the offseason, Trey talked about Josh Jacobs as a dynasty buy because he's a young player. You know, he was 23 at the time or early 23, and his redraft stock was actually higher than his dynasty stock. So then Kenyon Drake got signed in March and on air on this podcast, we all kind of laughed at that take. And here we are eight months later, and I'm telling you that Josh Jacobs is a value, right? So let's triangulate his value a little bit. So uh, for Josh Jacobs, I'm trading away Ezekiel Elliott for him. Whoa. Even up. I would, honestly, I would even attach a throw in like a third round pick or a roster clogging receiver with some perceived value. So somebody like, dare I say, Terrace Marshall Jr. Uh, or Brian Edwards. You know, I would attach that player to Zeke to get Josh Jacobs on my roster. I don't think you have to do that, but I would do it. I I value him much more than Zeke. That's spicy, man. I'm definitely sending Elijah Mitchell away for Josh Jacobs. I'm sending away Clyde Edwards-Alaire for Josh Jacobs straight up. I'd add a second round pick to Miles Sanders. I tried to do that in one of our leagues. Shout out uh, to Kyle, who 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 would not uh, acquiesce to my demands, but that's okay. Um, so could I get a little bit in addition to Josh Jacobs for a guy like David Montgomery, right? Could I get, you know, a, a, a throw in receiver that I like, you know, uh, somebody that could help me, maybe like a Cole Beasley or a Hunter Renfro even, or, yeah. or you know, a second round pick. Could I get... Because of David Montgomery's, you know, his production over the last year and a half, could I get something in addition to Josh Jacobs for David Montgomery? So yeah, I'm 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 really into Josh Jacobs right now. I'm really liking what I'm seeing. You're you're really high on him, man. And I the thing that's sticking out to me is Josh or John Gruden's gone now. You know, yeah. Uh, and and it peer it appears that now that he's gone, they've started using him in a different role. So if you look at his receptions and his receiving yards over the past uh, three years. I mean, these are already career highs for him uh, and we're not even, you know, done with the season yet. So he's got 39 receptions on the year, 236 receiving yards. Uh, like I said, career highs. The the thing that looking at his player profiler page that sticks out to me is one, he's not a plus athlete, you know, he's like average to below average as an athlete. And I think that shows up a little bit in his yards per carry, which, as we know, is a terrible way to evaluate running backs. But if you look at 2019, 4.8 yards per carry, pretty good. Last year, that dipped down to 3.9. This year, he's at 3.8. So I think it's worthwhile to be a little bit concerned that he's a plotter, but it's also, you know, maybe worthwhile to take that with a huge grain of salt for all the things that are potentially wrong, you know, with yards per carry as a evaluation metric. So you know, maybe now that there's a new offensive coordinator, like with John Gruden gone and like, they're going to start using him in a different way that, you know, we'll see some schematic things that'll happen to kind of open up a little bit. And maybe we're already seeing that with like the bump in his uh, production over the last few weeks. So it, it's tough for me because I see where you're coming from. I, kind of liked the idea of getting into Josh Jacobs as a post hype player. Right. Because I think if you rewound this a year ago, his price was a, a lot higher than it is now because he was essentially what, like coming off of his second year 
or going into his second year. And um, yeah, I mean, everybody was kind of viewing him as like the running back of the future. Uh, he was being drafted as like a you know late first round pick in redraft leagues. And now he's he's kind of post-hype. We're seeing a little bit of a change in usage. So I I definitely like his price a lot better now for what he's going to give you, which I think you're onto something here too, which is there's not a whole lot of these big workhorse, high volume running backs left in the league. And by, you know, the looks of things like he qualifies as like just a big volume guy. So you could do a lot worse than Josh Jacobs in your flex spot for a contender for sure. Yeah. So I, I appreciate you kind of bringing me back down to earth a bit, maybe with his athletic profile and, and, you know, some of his efficiency numbers, um, even, you know, beyond yards per carry, I think his efficiency numbers, you know, are relatively average. Um, at the same time, like, I guess like from what I can see on, on tape and from what, you know, I, people I trust, uh, as tape evaluators can see, I think he's talented and I'm seeing this increase in usage, especially in the passing game, because, you know, our default here is PPR. Absolutely. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from, but let me kind of turn it back to that market triangulation, um, that I was trying to do. So let me ask you straight up, uh, who do you prefer, uh, as a dynasty player, Ezekiel Elliott? Or Josh Jacobs. Ooh, well, okay, so I'm going to say Josh Jacobs, but that's more of an age thing than anything else. And we've seen okay. Zeke just has not been, uh, you know, as effective this year as he has in years past, despite all of the opportunity he's been given. Uh, meanwhile, I think Josh Jacobs can give you uh, essentially virtually the same production, but you know he's what two or three years younger. So yeah, sign me up for the younger guy for sure. Okay. Uh, what about a younger guy uh, in Elijah Mitchell? Ooh, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So I, I think I like Elijah Mitchell just a little bit more. Uh, yes, he is younger, but he's also you know a plus plus athlete, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now Jacobs is full size, so he's going to be able to take uh, you know that workhorse load at running back. Whereas I don't know that Elijah Mitchell necessarily will but maybe he doesn't necessarily have to because it's going to be kind of more fresh legs in the committee ripping off you know five six seven yards of carry versus you know josh jacobs who's getting you know 20 touches a game or whatever so i think personally my i tend to lean to guys like elijah mitchell a little bit more but i just see a little bit more upside there which is kind of you know what i'm always shooting for right by the way elijah mitchell is only three months younger than Josh Jacobs. Really? Uh, oh man. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what happens with those early declares. Uh, you got <laughs> um, me there. You got me there. But but, you know, I mean, like in NFL years, like Josh Jacobs is is older, right? Yeah. Like we we clearly, you know, have to kind of take some away from Josh Jacobs in comparison to Elijah Mitchell there because of the touches that he's received in the NFL, which is, you know, a brutal league, right? Um, so I think we can safely consider Elijah Mitchell, you know, reasonably younger from a dynasty standpoint than Josh Jacobs. Uh, okay. Well, w- one more Clyde Edwards, Alaire. Oh, <laughs> I, I just feel so burned by Edwards, Alaire right now. You know, I was like so high on him going into this season. I thought for sure he was going to be like, you know, the, like what Austin Eckler has been, you know, just yeah. like a pass catching machine. And he has been like nothing even close to that. And it looks like uh, they're given like Darrell Williams work instead yeah. of him. So yeah, I would give me Josh Jacobs over Clyde. Okay. For sure. All right. 
There is some common ground there. All right. For sure. Mic check. It is halftime. Nas, why did you do it? You know you got the mad fat fluid when you rhyme. It's halftime. So, uh, last week we gained some steam. We went three and one. Uh, so, you know, Mitch, uh, pick up the slack, bro. You were the one. Uh, not here to defend himself. Mitch picked the Jets. Right. Yeah. Come, Mitch, come on, man. <laughs> Mitch went with the Jets. So, you know, he got what he... And, like, I'll quote Mitch. He said, why am I going with the Jets? Because I'm a fucking idiot. That's why. So he knew what was coming, right? He so, was asking for it. Uh, but hey, we got some momentum here. We were two and two the week before. Last week we were three and one. We are twenty seven and twenty five overall. So we're picking up steam, getting back into that sharp territory. You know, because we're definitely not fake sharps. Barely. We are real sharps. We're barely there. <laughs> we'll get there this week. Okay, I'll, I'll start. I'll give my pick. I'll also dictate Mitch's pick, and then I'll throw it to you to give yours as well as John's. So. I'm going with the game of the week, and I'm going with Bills plus three at Tampa Bay. So this is a possible Super Bowl preview right here. And I think these are very evenly matched teams. Um, so another toss-up in which I'll take the points. Um, Tampa Bay's weaknesses on defense is in the secondary, and Buffalo, as we've seen, has no interest in running. And even if they did have an interest in running, they wouldn't be able to do it because mm-hmm. their running backs and their run blocking is really bad. So after last week's wind bowl in Buffalo, I expect a cathartic passing effort in Tampa. And again, look, I think this is going to be a close game. So anytime I see a close game where I get a reasonable amount of points, I I, I tend to like that. So give me the points, Bills plus three. Let me, let me just say, this is the time of year where I like playing the narrative a little bit more, you know? Yeah. Like we don't really have as much narrative at the beginning of the season. I really like it this time of year. Bills are going to be pissed. They yeah. were so mad after losing on primetime and Monday night. Oh, like, for sure. That interview with the defense where they were like, are you embarrassed that you even stepped on the field tonight? Like, they're going to be pissed. So, yeah, I like <laughs> this call. I also think uh, Tampa Bay's defense just is not as has just hasn't been as good as advertised. So right. I think Buffalo yeah. will have a day on offense. Yeah, their secondary is super banged up. All right. Mitch, uh, what he said. He's also going with a plus three team, and he's going with the Thursday game Steelers plus three. Here's what Mitch says. Look, here's the math. John can fact check the formula. The Lions tied the Steelers. The Lions beat the Vikings. They almost beat the Vikings twice this year, the Lions. So the Lions are bad. The Steelers are better than the Lions, so I will take the points. Fly, Steelers, fly. You know, John John used to be a math teacher. But right. isn't he a computer science teacher now? Like he's yeah, he's he just changed. he just plugs the formula into code and, and lets the computer do it. Yeah, right. That's right. how that works. So right? I don't know if I don't know if John could do that math anymore. <laughs> All right. Fly Steelers fly. All right. And, and you know, hey. if it doesn't work out, at least our parlay will be killed on Thursday night instead of Sunday. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Trey, give us your pick as well as John's pick. All right. All right. So I'm going to go with my uh, Homer pick of the season, man. I'm going to go with Dallas as four point favorites at Washington. How about him? And em? the reason is I think Dallas is more than four points better than Washington, you know, and they're getting Amari Cooper back this week. Uh, that Washington defense is kind of like Tampa just has not been as good as advertised. They've been inconsistent and Dallas's defense has really played pretty well this year for the most part. They've been really good at getting turnovers. Uh, I think Diggs is probably going to get at least one off of uh, 
Heineke, or as Mitch would say, uh, hanky panky. So uh, yeah, I like Dallas as a four point favorite in the division rivalry on the road. Hope you're right. Yeah, we we got to win that game to lock up that division. Hey, there's your narrative again. There's your narrative. Put all put all the rumors to rest for sure. Yeah. Uh, so John, John is going with another game of the week. He likes the first place Cardinals as two and a half point favorites at home against the visiting division rival L.A. Rams. That's a tough one. That's a tough one for me. Rams are pretty good, yeah. but I think the Cardinals are probably better. So that's that's probably going to be closer to a toss-up, but I like it, John. Go for it. Look, one of those teams has a three-game losing streak this year, and it's not the Cardinals. So I, I, think, it's, uh, I think it's reasonable to say getting three points at home for the Cardinals is... is it should be a good pick, but who knows? Like yeah. the Rams probably, I mean, have just as good of a roster as the Cardinals. Rams were pretty good to me last week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they beat the living shit out of the Jaguars. Yeah, like, as they as like they, they should have. Exactly. Okay, so let me give a recap here. Uh, I've got Bills plus three at Tampa Bay. Betting against Tom Brady once again, as I love to do. As you love to do. Uh, Mitch has Steelers plus three uh, against the Vikings in Minnesota. Trey's got Dallas, the Cowboys minus four at FedEx Field and the Washington football team. And John's got Cardinals as two and a half point favorites at home against the Los Angeles Rams. All right. Four and oh this week. We're, We're on that trajectory. Feeling good about it. Okay, let's kick off this second half. And Trey, we're going to go back to you for your second dynasty insight. All right. So this insight came from uh, setting my lineup in the show league uh, earlier this week. So I was looking through my roster and I realized uh, it was coming down to a flex spot decision between Tevin Coleman and Marvin Jones for my last starter going into a game that I really want to win just for that playoff uh, positioning. So yeah, you're a contender in this. I am. I am a contender. So that's why I'm I'm bothering with guys like Coleman and Jones right now. Um, <laughs> so it's really making me appreciate the value of depth this time of year, you know. And, you know, granted for this league in particular, this is the first year of a startup. So the depth on a contender isn't going to be as good as it might be in years three or four. Right. But but injuries are definitely going to happen every single year. And you really don't want to find yourself in a position to contend going into the playoffs and shorthanded with your help off the bench. And so I think this this just brings up an interesting conversation for me and you about, you know, how we approach roster construction. And I think there's kind of two schools of thought here. So one would be actively going out and investing your roster value in depth pieces in the offseason to, you know, build up that bench depth so you can withstand two or three guys out or on by at the same time, right? The other school thought is just put as much value as you possibly can into those eight or nine starting roster spots. And then when somebody gets hurt or, you know, you need that fill in, then you make a trade and you adjust uh, to address that need for your depth over the course of the season. So I've heard, you know, pretty smart people kind of push for both. Uh, I tend to kind of agree with that second trade of thought where you should really just try to optimize your starters as much as possible and then kind of adjust on the fly as needed. But I'm wondering if that approach kind of led me to, you know, think about guys like Tyler Boyd, who we were all ripping on in the offseason as just being like 
virtually useless because he's not an effective every week starter. And maybe we were discounting his viability as like a bye week, a bench fill-in type player, you know? So I think there is value in having that bench depth. I'm just not quite sure how I want to approach it going forward, going into the off season. So I'm curious what you think about this. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting. Like, I don't want to like completely discount what you're saying. I think it's interesting because you're feeling it palpably, right? You're looking at one of your contending rosters and you're like, okay, am I starting Tevin Coleman or Marvin Jones this week? And you're feeling a little like not great about it, right? Right. Um, So I think because of that palpable feeling, it's worth talking about, right? It's, It's worth trying to learn from it and adjust our strategy to where next year when you're ideally still still contending you're not kind of having to make those weird like weird decisions that rest in the pit of your stomach well let me let me add just one thing real quick right so if i'm really following this strategy to a t here which is just optimize your starters and adjust on the fly as needed what i should really be doing is taking one of my guys who's out like robert woods or calvin ridley and trying to trade them for somebody who's more of a contend right. now piece, right? Like that's really what I should be doing. Yeah, I I think I think that's reasonable. But to kind of like get zoom back out to the general strategy, like at least ideally, like I'm not a perfect dynasty manager, so I you know uh, sometimes I, I deviate from the strategy, right? But I think ideally you kind of want to think about roster construction in three phases right so in the in the beginning of the off season right like when is in january and right. february i ideally do not give a single shit about positions right. i don't care about anything all i care about is like building value on my roster right and then once we get close to the beginning of the season then i care about obviously filling out a really strong starting roster and having depth and then this happens to me every single year in my dynasty leagues. When we get to November, like I just made a trade with you in our main dynasty league, uh, TLC, I uh, I traded for Devontae Freeman, right? Because I was having like a similar kind of quandary where I may have needed to fill out that last flex spot. And I traded, you know, something like Donald Parham yeah, or something Donald like Parham, that. who as a tight end prospect is somebody I, I like, I'm interested in. Right. So that's kind of how I think about it is like first half of the off season, don't give a shit about roster construction, just care about value. Second half of the off season, build a strong starting roster as well as some depth and then adjust on the fly as we get into the season. Um, so I think it's just like, that's how I think about it. I don't think that's like a direct answer to kind of your questions here, but I think what it takes is active management, For sure. right? That like, that's the only thing that you can do is try to gain as much surplus value on your roster and then fan out at the positions you need as you get more and more to the season and you get closer to the playoffs. I don't know. I mean, is that helpful at all? Yeah, it is. It is. And I'm kind of going back and forth on this because, you know, obviously I think you do a really good job of being a little bit less uh, like emotionally attached to the guys in your roster. And I'm sitting here like looking at DeAndre Swift and, you know, I love the guy. He's one of my reputation players. And, you know, honestly, it's probably in my best interest to like make a move and go for somebody who is like really locked in, you know, top six running back production, because that's the kind of value that he can get you right now um, yeah. uh, in trades. So, you know, it's it's hard 
to kind of be that like dispassionate sometimes and like, you know, let go of the guys that you've been believing in, like over the course of the year that have got you to the point of contention. But like, you know, now you can kind of see the writing on the wall, like, look, Calvin Ridley, DeAndre Swift, Robert Woods probably aren't going to be key pieces for this playoff run. And like, it's probably in my best interest to make a move for, you know, to get like more contending pieces with those guys while I can. And then I'm not even sitting here talking about Tevin Coleman and Marvin Jones. Right, but right. Um, so that's then that's what I mean by like optimizing for your starting roster and then adjusting on the fly as you go. You know, the other thing that, you, that is kind of tangentially related here, but I, I wanted to bring into the conversation is like sometimes when I especially when I get into like November uh, and, and December uh, and I'm trying to make that playoff push, I think one thing that we don't talk about a lot is you know, giving up value for the playoff push. Yeah. Um, because like, obviously you'll need to seed some value, right? You need to trade some younger guys or, or, or guys that you have higher in estimation for people who can help you right now. But I think the other side of that coin is trusting yourself that you're going to be able to make that up over the off season because you're a good manager. Right. 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 So like a, a lot of the times, like when I'm struggling with myself and making trades in which I know I'm giving up overall dynasty value in that trade, the way that I talk myself into it is like, hey, I, I live this shit. I'm like into it. Right. So I'm going to be able to make it up over the course of the offseason. So like, don't be afraid to give up value if you fancy yourself a good manager, you know? Yeah, I think that's good advice, too, because, uh, you know, as much as you want every uh you know trade to look like uh it's blue on both sides and your keep trade cut calculator like that's just not right. the way like, it's always <laughs> going to work out you know so you gotta yeah. i think you do have to be willing to sacrifice a little bit of value sometimes to get it to get it done if you know if it's somebody that you really believe in and right. and you gotta just make that valuation and understand that it's like counter to the market and you know that's how you ultimately win trades because you're going against like what everything else, like everybody else in the market is doing and you're, you know, taking those contrarian positions. So, um, I know we, that came up in like a lot of discussion kind of offline this week, but, uh, I'm glad you called that out now uh, here too. Yeah. It's also like on a tertiary level, right? If you're the type of manager that is willing, like to give up value, right? You, you build, you build cash in your league too. Like people want to, people want to make deals with you because they know like, Hey, like he'll give up value like if he needs to, right? right. He's he's not just going to be a stickler like he, you know, he's playing the game so I can play the game with him or her, right? Yeah, so Yeah. I mean, and obviously the risk with that then is you're going to end up doing a bunch of bad trades and trade all your value away, which, you know, don't do that, but <laughs> Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, go go win your league. That's, right, right, that's right. The important part. Okay. Uh, great conversation. Let's pivot to my second insight. And I'm going to stick with kind of a strategy session here too. Um, the advice to buy aging players uh, as they become undervalued is not great advice in general. That's the that's the broad strokes of the insight. When it comes to aging players, production regresses neatly with market value. So bear with me here because This insight owes to Adam Harstad's charting of age and production in relation to Dynasty ADP. We've talked about Harstad a lot. Uh, We even, you know, uh, probably should have mentioned his name earlier with Josh Jacobs because, you know, his him kind of touting Josh Jacobs over the offseason that was based on Adam Harstad's work. 
So uh, what Harstad's very trusted and pristine data shows is that for aging players whose market value starts to fall, so think about Travis Kelsey and DeAndre Hopkins here. What Harstad says is, quote, the decline in cost of acquisition tends to be strongly related to the decline in expectations for value to your fantasy team, which means there's no persistent market inefficiency in pricing those players post-dip. End quote. So that's a lot of words, yeah, right? We, we so might for, need to uh, we might need to paraphrase that. That's that's incredibly high level academic. I love it. Yeah. Let let me try to boil it down here. So for context, this was in a Twitter a Twitter conversation between Adam Harstead, uh, Cooper Adams, and myself. Uh, so these are two big hitters in the dynasty pay, uh, dynasty space. Um, about this was specifically about Travis Kelsey and his declining value and whether or not you should actually target Travis Kelsey as his market price goes down. And the short answer to that is maybe, but look, in aggregate, you're not really capturing any value that isn't already priced into his decline in production, which is kind of crazy to say because Travis Kelsey is the tight end one right now, but the point is he's not giving you that big lineup advantage that he did in 2020, right? right? right. So the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I think it throws a pretty big wrench into a common dynasty strategy. And it might not even be a dynasty strategy. It might just be like a dynasty truism, like a, a, a dynasty falsity, you know, and that's that aging players become undervalued in relation to their production as you as they age. So you should go target them. Right. And I think that advice, it, it comes up all the time. And I think we all fall victim to it. I, I'm sure all of us have kind of said it in one way or another on this podcast. And what Adam Harstad's data shows is that there's not really a reason to believe it, at least in general. So what's the lesson here as dynasty managers? I think the lesson is that we shouldn't rely on buying the age dip as a strategy. And we should instead understand that when buying an aging player, we're, we're just paying a price that already has an expected decline in production and thus a decline in points in your lineup on a weekly basis. That's already baked into it. So this doesn't mean that you can't go get Adam Thielen. You can't go get DeAndre Hopkins or Derrick Henry on your team for a fair price. It just means that you should understand that in general, it's not the most efficient way to allocate resources. And you should understand that you're not like capturing asymmetric upside by doing it. You're right. just like paying a fair price based on what we expect their production to do, which is decline. So where the efficient prices are, it's intuitive. It's with the young ascending assets. And generally, that's what you should go after, right? Don't make a habit of buying aging players because you think they're undervalued. I, you're kidding yourself. So this is, so maybe the insight here to borrow a phrase from like DFS and uh, best ball leagues is it's not necessarily plus EV to go after this strategy, right? Like it's yeah, plus all, expected value, right? Plus it's not plus EV, not plus expected value. And I guess, so Adam Harstad is essentially um, what his research is showing is that we've got this common conception that, you know, the, production of aging vets is always going to be more valuable to your roster than necessarily their market cost. So that makes them right. an efficient buy. 
And by by the way, let me just clarify: by market cost, we mean Dynasty ADP, right? That's Dynasty the market. ADP is is his level of the market here, right? So that's that's interesting. I mean, I, and that translates nicely to trade value for sure. Yeah. Um, and which and and so the fact that he's saying that that's not true, that's definitely kind of counterintuitive to me, you know, because I'm starting to think about guys like. Antonio Brown, for example, you know, as like useful pieces for a contending roster. And like, uh, he has been really productive at times when he's been available and on the field. Um, but essentially what, you know, Adam Harsad is saying is that if you were to go and trade for him right now, you know, you're essentially buying a declining asset. So it's, you know, not, you're not getting that like, uh, market inefficiency, like baked into his trade value. And I, I guess I can see how that's true because, I wouldn't necessarily let him go for anything less than what I think I can get for those points like this season and, and next season too. Right. You know, so um, I guess that's, I don't know. There's, there's a lot baked into this and it's really interesting that, that it's just like so counter to what's like, you know, a, a common dynasty truism, as you said. Well, let's like follow up with it. Right. And I think it, I think it fits actually really nicely with what you talked about and your second insight about like depth and yeah. and all that and kind of where we arrived in terms of like giving up value, right? Because that's kind of a different level of conversation. What what we're talking about here is going to be especially prescient like in the off season, yeah. right? Because you don't want really no matter what situation you're in you don't want to give up value in the off season you want to compile value right when it comes to november right like we were talking about just a couple minutes ago it's extremely important to potentially give up value so that you can win a championship and win money and and you know do what we're here to do right yeah yeah but to me after having this conversation with adam and cooper is it's going to throw up a little bit of a yellow flag over the off season when anybody's like, Hey, like Chris Carson or like Adam Thielen, DeAndre Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins, their, their value is so low right now. Like I I'm going to like my first thought based on the data, based on like the wealth and history of data that Adam Harstead has worked on. I'm my first thought is going to be like, no, like you're just paying what you expect what correlates to his decline in production right. or what we expect based on his age and based on, you know, the history of what he's been doing as well as what the general population of NFL players have done since Adam started charting this data. Right. Yeah. So I think th- that's, what's going to happen to me is maybe this is more of an off season insight where like anytime somebody is like, this is a screaming value or whatever for an aging player, you can be like, nah, the, the market's just pricing in his risk. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think there's an important caveat in there too, that this is like in the aggregate, right? So there's of course going to be exceptions to this rule. Yeah. And like, by all means, like go bet on your favorite aging vet, you know, that if you can, especially if you can get them at a discounted price, like because of their age, you know, uh, but just recognize that, you know, in the long run, (laughs) you know, you do that enough times, uh, it is going to be, you know, damaging net negative EV because you're essentially investing a lot of value in, assets that are guaranteed to decline versus, you know, what you should be doing in the off season, arguably all throughout the season two is, uh, moving guys around, making trades that are going to accrue value, uh, for your roster and, you know, put points in your lineup to go get that championship. Yeah. That's the thing is I, I think in, in most leagues, there's 
one, if not several managers who just like over the course of the first three to four years of the league, they're constantly trying to buy that value dip of aging players. Yeah. And guess what happens? Like they get in a really bad spot after three years. Right. 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 So, they get all the name brand um, receivers and running backs for sure. Yeah. And, you know, let me pair that by saying if within those three or four years where they're giving up all that value, if they win a dynasty championship, then, you know, it's all worth it. But uh, that's not the most efficient way to go about it, I think, is what the data shows here. No, I appreciate you calling out uh, this conversation with Adam Harstad here. I thought it was really interesting following along on Twitter. And uh, yeah, we're uh, we're big fans here for sure. So uh, no, it's good stuff. Big fans. We'll have to get him on the pod at some point. Maybe he can be our first ever guest. Hey, I like it. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. So that does it for uh, our first and second half and our insights. Uh, But let's go ahead and kick off an overtime segment. And what I want to do for this overtime is actually talk about uh, kind of an aging player. uh, And that is Leonard Fournette. So I want to evaluate Leonard Fournette's recent dynasty trades on the DLF trade finder. So just for some context, uh, in 2021, Leonard Fournette has been the RB4 overall in PPR and the RB6 in points per game. Uh, So that RB4 is not really a lie. He's been killing it for those that roster him. So Trey, I'm going to go through a couple of trades and I'm just going to ask you, if you are a contender, are you fine sending these packages away for Lombardi Lenny? Okay, here's the first one. All right. You receive Leonard Fournette. And Darren Fells, so okay. <laughs> and you give away Zach Moss, a 2022 second round pick, and Kylan Granson, rookie tight end. Done. Colts. Absolutely. Smash. 100%. Yeah, easy. Yeah. Easy. I'm a contender. Are you kidding? Yeah. You're Smash. a contender. Yeah. Zach Moss is a whole bag of nothing, right? Yeah. And, you know, a second round pick, whatever. Okay. No, let's talk about this real quick. Uh, Leonard Fournette right now, uh, you mentioned his uh, production. He is coming up on his 27th birthday, right? So he's getting a little bit older. Yeah. But you're going to get another year of him in that offense. Yeah. You know, so it's not just this season. It's next season, too. And what's, you know, what's keeping him from playing another year after that, too, at this point? He looks as good as he's ever looked in the league. Uh, So I love that as a buy right now. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, uh, I'm going to shout out Chris Harris again uh, with Leonard Fournette. It's like. What Leonard Fournette used to do when he was in Jacksonville was try to hit the big play every single down, right? Yeah. And what Bruce Arians and Tom Brady have trained him to do since he's gone to Tampa Bay uh, and another part of Florida is be a power back. Yeah. Uh, And it's working out for him. So, all right, next one. Uh, This one might be a little bit harder, but remember, you're a contender. You receive Leonard Fournette, Emmanuel Sanders, and a third-round pick in 2022. You give up Calvin Ridley. Ooh, man. Um, I'm looking at my ranks right now, but it's a receiver for running back. So that's interesting. I love Ridley. I was super high on him this year. Uh, I was literally just talking about trading him away from my other contending roster. So this is the kind of thing I should be looking for. You said a third plus who? Emmanuel Sanders and Leonard Fournette. Okay. Yeah, Sanders isn't much to me. The third round pick isn't much to me, but I think that's still probably something you should go do right now. I like it. Okay, so let's say you are a rebuilder. Are you sending that package out for Calvin Ridley? Ooh, I think it's fair to buy on Ridley now because I think somebody pointed this out earlier. Uh, apparently, he's up for a new contract. 
So apparently like this season, he's only set to make, you know, like roughly a million dollars over the course of the season. Whereas like next year, his contract like bumps up to like 11 million or something like that. So it's like for a team that's out of contention, it seems like maybe the salary is having a little bit of an impact and, you know, this decision to go uh, uh, kind of step away a little bit too. I'm not say, for, saying for sure it is or it isn't, but I think it's right. really safe to assume he's going to be back and he's going to be the old uh, Ridley that we know and love next year. So yeah, I, I think that's a good trade for a, a rebuilder. I like it. I, we're getting away from Leonard Fournette here, but I want to talk about Ridley for a second more because Calvin Ridley is an interesting value study case. First of all, let me say, you know, continued congratulations to Calvin Ridley for taking care of his mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's the most important thing. Absolutely. But like from, you know, a value perspective, like for me and I think for the market in general, like the first couple of weeks, everybody was like, I'm not moving Calvin Ridley down, you know, like he's he's maybe a couple of spots. We said it on the pod. I think that bore out in the market. And then after a couple of weeks of not seeing him out there, he, he's kind of moved down to like a low end wide receiver, too. Well, let me so. let me tell you what's happened internally. And I because I just assume this is what a lot of other people are thinking, too, is I really strongly believe we would see him back after, you know, being gone for like three weeks or whatever. And like now it, I strongly believe we won't see him back this season. Right. And I think right. like we're not going to see Ridley again until next year. So I've kind of given up hope on him. I've seen him again uh, before, you know, the Super Bowl. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Back to Leonard Fournette. I'll give you one more. And this one is the banger. Okay. So Leonard Fournette and Elijah Mitchell is what you receive as a contender. And you send away the one and only white Jesus, Christian McCaffrey. Oh, Man, so that's two big contending pieces right there in Leonard Fournette and Elijah Mitchell. And you give up CMC. Yeah. I am really torn on that because I want to say there's a little bit of opportunity cost there where you might be able to go and get CMC like something more for CMC. But I think in a vacuum, those are two guys that are going to probably help you get it done this year oh yeah oh yeah so i'll say do it yeah i'm fine with it i'm fine with it but you could probably get a little bit more for cmc but i say do it maybe yeah i mean look it's like leonard fournette i think a fair price if you're a contender is giving away your first round pick right yeah yeah same thing with elijah mitchell so this is essentially two firsts in in rebuilder terms for christian mccaffrey and I think that's fair. Yeah, right? good and, point. And if, good point. And and in addition to that, like like you said, Leonard Fournette and Elijah Mitchell, you know, uh, hopefully Elijah Mitchell gets through concussion protocol. But these are both guys that are you can project to be RB ones for the rest of the season for sure. Uh, okay. And yeah, Elijah Mitchell's playoff schedule is also really amazing, which is not something we talk about on a dynasty podcast a lot. But Elijah Mitchell, David Montgomery, the like Daryl Henderson, if he's healthy, like. There's some sneaky league winners out there. Yeah, it's playoff season, man. Uh, somebody pointed out to us it was uh, Keenan Allen's got a really nice uh, playoff schedule too. So I'm looking forward to that in the uh, in the show league and making my first run at uh, our first playoffs there. Yeah, and uh, luckily I think Keenan Allen is vaccinated, whereas his teammate Mike Williams is not. <laughs> so uh, hey, get get vaxxed, get your boosters, guys. I got mine today. It's it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Get boosted. Get your 5G. Uh, I'm getting mine on Monday. So. All right. Uh, and on that note, on that public health note, we will end episode 34 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. It was a fun one. 
one-on-one with Trey Cryan. Loved it. We'll see you next week. Yes, sir.